Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Butter With That, a movie podcast where some friends from Philadelphia get together to talk about movies, among other things. Uh, this month, as you guys uh, who've been listening know, we've been doing uh, our sort of anti-Oscars month. Uh, deep dive and a look into the Academy's process, uh, our problems with it. Um, and exploring that through several films. Uh, we're going to kind of get into that tonight. Uh, in truth, I picked this movie more because I just kind of wanted to talk about it and it felt like a convenient way to bring it up. But uh, before we get to that, how is everybody doing? Great. <laughs> Great. Good. Yeah, Excited to good. talk about the movie. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we know that you guys all watched it yesterday together, so. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's yeah. so cute. Mm-hmm. We yeah we had Sicilian pizza. We did. It was good. So appropriate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's quite apropos. Um, we uh, for this uh, bonus feature for this month, which is a uh, a case where we've all seen the film. Um, this month we went with uh, my choice, which is Martin Scorsese's 1990 mob masterpiece, Goodfellas. Um, now there's a lot to get into here, uh, but uh, <clears throat> I suppose I'm just gonna run down. A really quick summary of the plot, because I think most people have seen this movie, although I thought that and then discovered that Christine and Sam have not. So Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to discuss it with Mm -hmm. you guys. But a a quick rundown of the film is that it it just kind of explores the life of Henry Hill, um, a young man who is brought into uh, the uh, an organized crime family in the mob. Um, He comes up uh, within the late 1950s and the movie spans to uh, the 1980s, within which time um, he's married, uh, he has a family, uh, but things also get extremely off the rails within uh, the organized crime world that he lives in, uh, which is really kind of as a timeline synonymous with the history of uh, kind of the fall of organized crime in the United States, at least on a mass scale, um, in terms of its, uh, its introduction of drugs and how that uh, really frayed things, and, and things became pretty haywire for Henry Hill until uh, finally, in the end, um, he winds up giving up the wise guy lifestyle that he uh, so adores for witness protection. Um, within all of that, there's a lot to get into. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so that being said, uh, I would love to hear uh, from Christine and Sam. This was the first time that they've seen the movie uh, within this past week. So how did you feel about it? I loved it. Um, it was going to sound weird, but my family's all Italian. And so watching particularly like the first like two thirds of the movie, I was like, man, this is this feels familiar. Like all of your family just being around constantly bad mouthing each other, but also like being really loving. And like I just thought of all the times where I heard go take this to your mother like in my life. <laughs> so I felt like super connected to this movie. And also like, I love the departed and it's mm. so interesting to see like how like connected and, and the comparison between the movies, mm-hmm. arguably as much as I love the departed, like <laughs> this one is definitely better. Sam, did it hit home because you are also in witness protection now after being a part of the, the mob? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is my name really Sam? <laughs> Who knows? Hashtag who sings. <laughs> and then movie was based on a book, right? On a that... real event. It's based on a book, guy. which is uh, based on a real man. Yeah, the uh, the man was Henry Hill, um, a uh, an uh, Italian Irish American who um, who grew up again under the wing of uh, a, a, an organized crime family. He uh, rose through its ranks uh, through 
kind of a dedication and um, especially the lesson that he learns early on, which is um, never telling your friends and uh, keep your mouth shut. Um, and as the movie goes on, um, yeah, we, we, we learn a lot about him and we learn a lot about the uh, surrounding organization, Jimmy Conway, um, a pretty prominent uh, gangster at the time who uh, is played by Robert De Niro. Um, and all of these are based on real people, um, or at least uh, the central characters. And that's brought to life through the book Wise Guys uh, by Nicholas Pileggi, um, which was a book uh, that when Martin Scorsese, the director of Goodfellas, discovered, uh, he at the time wasn't planning to make another mob movie, at least uh, within the foreseeable future, until he read the book, at which point he immediately called the author and excitedly said, I've been waiting for this book for years, to which uh, Nicholas Pileggi, the author's response, was excitedly, I've been waiting for this phone call all my life. <laughs> I think it definitely has a feeling like it, it I mean, it, a lot of it has voiceover narration elements, which I think, I... I don't actually have a problem with it, but I know it's like a debated thing. Like when is it used effectively and when is it not? But it definitely gives it a very storytelling feel to the mm -hmm. whole, to the whole movie. Um, I also found myself comparing it to the departed. Uh, and I felt like there was a wonderful like freshness to every uh, piece of dialogue that was in. sometimes <laughs> conversations were extended out almost. You're like, a little too long but it gave it it an improvisational feel and it sounds like from dave there there were improvisational elements to the way that some scenes were shot big and, time and it, it just it added some some sort of freshness and uh some wonderful comedic elements that i think the departed in many ways was didn't have like there's some maybe some funny moments in the Departed. there's a part where oh, yeah, like there. alec baldwin and um Oh fuck, Mark Wahlberg uh, are oh, talking wow. shit to one another oh, in like the, Boston yeah. accents, and I was like, oh, I love this so much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's all that movie is—is is just Boston accents, I and I would just want to listen to it all the time. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> you okay? We know my obsession with Chris Evans, right? I know, but you didn't grow up in it. <laughs> True, but also like I love Bobby Kennedy. I just like listen to those things, and I'm like, oh, yes. God. And this movie was like more stylish. Nah, I don't know. There's something worse. like super, like uh, snazzy about it. I mean, all mm -hmm. I was like, oh, every shirt that Ray Liotta wore in that yes, whole yeah. fucking oh movie God. was amazing. Well, the the shoes, the ties, the collars that are so odd, but oh. so narrow and and odd. I've never seen a shirt collar like that. That's another thing, and that's the thing about the specificity that. Um, and we'll talk about how this movie, as in, in terms of production, is like a fine-tuned machine uh, on all cylinders. But in particular, yeah, the collars um, were something that uh, Scorsese himself insisted be done right. Uh, he was informed by Henry Hill and uh, Nicholas Pileggi, the subject and author of the book, um, as far as the style and the exact like ironing and pressing of those collars and shirts with like the kind of like deeper, like the deeper collar, so it almost hides the tie. Um, to yes, the, you to don't the, even see the knot. You see this beautiful little sliver of a perfectly ironed, uh, yeah. And that was uh, Martin Scorsese's <laughs> own... he got me with I couldn't take my eyes off it, sorry. <laughs> it was Scorsese's own mom uh, on set ironing. Wow. Ironing the collar Was she for in him. the movie? She's also in the movie, and we'll get back to that too, yeah. And also, uh, to the degree that the knots needed to be just right, uh, Ray Liotta says that on set every day when he... Uh, he got to wardrobe. Uh, Scorsese himself insisted on tying his tie because it had to be the right way. Wow. 
I'm telling you, yeah, those, <laughs> those costumes were impeccably They short. are really good. I also remember when I first saw that movie thinking that, like, Ray Liotta was, like, really cute at the at the beginning of that movie. And by the end of it, I was like, oh, he no. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, within a movie, I was like, oh, nope, never yeah. mind. <laughs> I never realized how uncomfortable his, like, cheeks and teeth make me. As he's <laughs> aged, it's gotten, like, weirder, too. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I was just telling Christine, like, I went to the movie theater, like, a couple months ago, and he was doing, like, a Chantix commercial. And I was like, what is yeah, this? Yeah. <laughs> well, his, his mother died of lung cancer. And oh, he geez. actually... Um, he says that he uh, he utilizes a lot of the anger uh, from that situation within this wow. film because it was at the same time. Oh, wow. really? Yeah, that's wow. fascinating. And you said, or you had mentioned previously, this is, is was only his fourth, fourth movie, movie he ever did, and he carries the movie. He does. I was thinking he kills it. We were like in the first third of the movie, and Robert De Niro, who I thought would be billed as like the like like the primary lead, if not secondary oh just barely secondary to Ray Liotta Mm -hmm. by the first third of the movie he uh uh, Robert De Niro only has about like 10 lines Mm -hmm. and not that much Mm -hmm. screen time so I feel like Henry Hill the character really obviously carries the whole movie and Robert De Niro doesn't really do much he's pretty (laughs) understated I mean he's like he's menacing in his like unusual kind of silence um, because when you do see him go off, he goes off. Like when he's, That's true. he's strangling he's Morty with the, uh, or mm-hmm. Morty with the, the phone line yeah. or, um, when he's just like stomping somebody half to death, it's really intense. But like most of the time he's like pretty soft spoken in the movie, which is really disorienting and weird. Well, it's so kind like, of funny too. Cause he's like such a big deal being in these kind of movies. Like he's also in like the Godfather part two, but like he was in his prime. He's also the not one. in that, that lawn either. Yeah, um, that's true. Which is like really interesting. Um, if you like, I mean, because also when I was younger, we had a specific edition of The Godfather. Um, it's called The Saga or whatever. And so it's all in chronological order. Oh, yeah. So the way uh... I like grew up watching The Godfather is like Robert De Niro. And then you have like Marlon Brando. And then you have like just like the Michael parts like at mm-hmm. the end, um, which is like, I guess, like totally changes it. Like, which is like very yeah, interesting. It's really different. But watching it that way, you're like, oh, he's like not in that movie that much at all, you know? But he's like he's great in it, playing like young Don mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, Joe Pesci is a standout in this movie. Yeah, how could he not be with how much he's yelling at <laughs> Joe Pesci? How am I funny? How am I funny? Tell me, how am I funny? I was expecting a scene like that, but it just fucking continued throughout the movie, and I was like, oh, he's definitely dying at some point. Definitely <laughs> dying. He's, he's the loose can. I mean, I feel like in a lot of movies. There is that loose cannon type that like causes Sonny. chaos, Ugh. and then yeah, I loved head. him. Mm-hmm. And then my favorite, yeah, mine too. Mm-hmm. Did I ever tell you, anyone here the story of like me watching The Godfather for the first time? Mm-mm. And I was like, "Mom, does Sonny die?" Because I was watching it with my mom, and she went, "No." Cut to like twenty <gasps> minutes later. That's so mean. <laughs> twenty minutes later, dies in the most gruesome way possible. Yeah. I haven't forgiven you yet, Mom. If you listen to I this, I think now as I've watched it more and more, I cho- I feel like I like different characters more at different points. Mm-hmm. Honestly, the first time I watched it, I was like all about fucking um, Al Pacino. He, I was like, Michael. Michael is Michael. like such an interesting character, especially just seeing like like the beginning parts and mm-hmm. not like Michael later. You're like, oh, sure. like. 
you know, he's just, like, it's all about, like, honor and stuff, which, like, is interesting because I grew up watching The Godfather because my mom, like, loves The Godfather. It's fantastic. And um, we're going to discuss The Godfather via yeah. this a little bit later on, yeah. But, like, I grew up watching that because that's, like, her favorite movie. My mom wishes she was Italian. She married my dad, who's Italian, but, like, that's, like, the closest she's gotten to being Italian. <laughs> Um, but, like, that's so romantic, like, the way that it, like, represents the mob and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, like, that movie, like, makes, like, the whole feel of it, like, you just get, like, totally immersed. And this movie is not romantic about the mob, which is interesting. But there's a pretty important distinction to be uh, pointed out is that uh, The Godfather is more about, like, dynasties. It's about, Mm. like, the upper echelon, like, um, your, you know, your your Dons, your Consigliori's, Mm. and, and really kind of the... The yeah. upper crust of that organized crime family versus this is kind of a men on the street, like button men situation, mm-hmm. like the actual hit men, their lives. They don't yeah. have these kind of like uh, estates. They instead have like, you know, live in pretty nice houses mm-hmm. in Jersey. I mean, they got walls <laughs> that, you know, retract and open up to TV. Yeah. Which does get impressive. Yeah. Well, but also <laughs> what's kind of interesting, too, though, is like. It, it This movie, like, yeah, you're right. It's, like, kind of, like, different people. But at the same time, it's, like, starts with the kid who, like, this is romantic to him and this is what mm-hmm. he wants. But, like, you're, like, oh, no. Like, this is this is all horrible, especially, you know, as you go, go through the motions, like, with what happens, which is, like, kind of interesting that, like, it's kind of romantic from his perspective, like, very early on, which... Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it, like, it doesn't feel like that at all, the way, like... When stuff's, like, actually happening and going down, it doesn't feel that way at all. Mm -hmm. I'd love to see a diptych of fresh-faced Henry at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the movie. Oh, that would be horrifying. Oh, my God, I know. old Henry being chased by a helicopter in the sky. (laughs) That sequence. Oh, man. I hear what you're saying about, like, the difference between, like, Godfather and, and, and Goodfellas. But, like, like I said at the beginning, I really felt a connection with this because my family is so Italian. And so, like, it... Almost in 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 my perspective was like, yes, this is what an Italian family feels like, even though um, uh, Henry and and Jimmy aren't like full Italians, but Mm -hmm. they're still like welcomed into the space. And I was like, like, I, you know, would want this. I was like (laughs) my roommate and I were watching this and we were sitting and, and we both asked each other, would you marry someone that was in the mob? And I was like. Yeah, I don't want to be that different. Oh my god! I don't want to be that different. I mean, of course, like you're right. Things do change as the movie goes on, but it's still like, I don't know. It 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 feels the same like The Godfather in the sense where you're like, oh no, this is fucked up. Mm. Um, but like in that same way. Mm. I mean, there is that crucial moment. Um, what uh, what is her character's name? Who plays? Uh, Henry Hill's uh, wife. Karen. 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 Played by holding... Lorraine Bracco. Yeah, her performance is awesome. She's great. Oh she's, she's so great. great. And she's holding that bloody gun after oh. Henry goes and mm-hmm. beats up the, the neighbor. And goes and, and she's pistol like, whips the shit out of her. Yeah, him. that's brutal. And it still has blood in it. And she puts it in the fucking flower pot. And she's like, and she was some like, of it my was friends would have, like, yeah, would have looked at this gun and just run the other direction. But she was like. I had to admit. It turned me on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, she was wonderful. She's really great, and um, she was nominated for best supporting uh, best supporting actress uh, mm. that year. Um, we'll get back to the Oscars uh, because there are several things that were nominated, and uh, one thing that won. Um, 
but yeah, let's talk about some of the performances real quick. I mean, we we touched a little bit on Ray Liotta, who again was pretty fresh faced uh, in a sense uh, in the movie. Um, I think the kind of like frenzied, coked out performance that he gives toward the end of the film is spectacular. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. The whole helicopter bit was just that is so amazing. good. I wonder how they. I mean, yeah, just him looking up th- like through the front window at the helicopter. He's making the, the meatballs. Yes, and he's he's going going yeah. it's so good. And then the chicken piccata is like <laughs> on the fryer. <laughs> Watch the sauce. Watch the sauce. <laughs> Ooh, food features nice, wonderfully. Oh god, so yeah. much delicious. So food. much food. Yeah. I think um, I love how. It's Ray Liotta through like the whole movie, but he's he's like twenty one, but he's like <laughs> yeah, he's like oh, Ray Liotta. He's Ray Liotta. His current oh. age is nineteen ninety, so it's just like oh yeah, he is twenty one early, yeah, but he's like, like forty. So yeah, uncomfortable. Sure, sure, okay. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that was interesting too is the uh, the younger actor that they had to play, young Henry Hill, who I think does so was a, a great fit. Um, was a great mm-hmm. fit down to the wire, except uh, he had, I believe, brown eyes, so they had him wear contacts that looked more like uh, Ray Liotta's eyes. Oh, that's interesting. But even if they Thought were like a, like a regular blue, like Ray Liotta's eyes are just so steely, steely, mm. right? So they probably. Karen and I had this whole conversation last night because we just watched um, this movie called Mysterious Skin, which is one of Joseph Gordon-Levitt's first roles. Okay. Um, and we were like having this like. What color are Joseph Gordon-Levitt's eyes? Because in some movies, it looks like they make him ultra blue. And I think that was a thing with Looper, too. Like, they were trying to make his eyes match, like, Bruce Willis's eyes. Oh, maybe. That sounds right. But, like, I think they're really brown. But there have been several (laughs) roles where he has these piercing blue eyes. So it's like, like, we're like, what? color eyes does he actually have? It's the Mandela effect. <laughs> I think it's funny maybe, like, maybe. all like this whole day. I keep being like, but what are they? I think it's brown. But if that's true, that's so weird that they would yeah, have like I mean, that yeah, is. yeah. It's I'm I'm sorry. Also but, like, that they had those kind of contacts back then. I know. Yeah, right? oh, that's crazy. 89. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you looked like because oh, I'm like pleased. I'm like, what co- like oh, how? like the quality of mm, said contacts? Putting that in your eyeball. Yeah. Well, they've been making them for a while. Yeah. I'm sure they've done worse things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very true. Yeah. Um, also in the movie uh, is uh, Robert De Niro, who we briefly talked about. Mm-hmm. He plays a bit of a more restrained role than he often does, especially in uh, Scorsese films. Um, but I think he, he lends a perfect uh, a perfect component within the trio of them. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, we'll get to Pesci. But... Um, one thing that I think is really interesting, too, is how thoroughly he researched the role. Because uh, De Niro, at a certain point, was calling uh, Nicholas Pileggi, the author of the book, pretty much every day and asking wow. him question after question about how Jimmy Conway, um, the real-life mobster that he was playing, would do certain things down to the point of, all right, how would he hold a cigarette? How would he um, How would he wipe his mouth? How would he... Uh, how would he get ketchup out of a ketchup bottle? Jesus which Christ. is the one thing we talked about yesterday. Yes. It's so specific, but that's because it's specific to the source. Damn. I saw that and I was like, that's brilliant. If it works, I didn't I haven't tried it yet. <laughs> but instead of tapping on the fifty seven or putting the knife in and trying to scoop it out. You just give it a nice little roll. <laughs> yeah, because Heinz is the only ketchup we have. Also, I don't like ketchup, so this has never been a problem for me. <laughs> I think that like one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when um, 
Jimmy and Karen are talking and, and Karen's like, oh. oh, I know. I just don't know about him. I just don't know. And he's like, well, do you want a couple dresses? I got this. Like, go yeah, down there. It's later in the film. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. And like you actually feel Karen's fear. Oh, yeah. She's uh, she's being this is a point when everything is crumbled and Jimmy might be pulled under by uh, Henry. So as uh, Karen's talking to him about this and Henry's too paranoid to see him, uh, she sends he sends her down an alley suggesting he has some like. Uh, layaway addresses she can just have and that walk is just so tense mm-hmm. uh, because it becomes so clear that like it's a really seedy place where she's going there are some guys in there who are hushing their voices and like jimmy's just staring and he's smiling the whole yeah, time yeah. he's and like go, just down there just, go, just down just there go. she's passing like shuttered window like uh oh, storefronts yeah. and you're like the it per you sam you're totally right it just builds tension so mm-hmm. perfectly and then, like, in the next scene when he goes to visit Jimmy at a diner, finally, as he's, like, walking up to Jimmy, he says, you know, the people who are, you know, exactly. are going to kill you are the ones who are going to have a smile on their face and pretend that they're your family. Mm. Um, like, in the movies, he was, you know, the narration's like, oh, all these guys, like, you know they're evil, you know they're coming up to you. But in the real world, these people you've known for years, they're your family, they'll smile at you when while they shoot you. Yeah. Yeah, which makes the scene even more chilling. Um, there's also, of course, Joe Pesci. <laughs> who we got to talk about it's just joe pesci <laughs> you know as soon as they said they had that like little celebration and they were like i'm g- paulie's gonna make me i was like oh he ain't <laughs> oh no oh but i Doesn't felt bad out. for his mom yeah i thought about her a lot throughout mm. the movie she was sweet yeah Mrs. Scorsese. Yeah. That, i mean the yeah. women attached to all of these people in general it's just like it's like never great you know? know yeah yeah you do think about the women's i mean karen in particular when having to deal with knowing that her husband has like multiple girlfriends mm-hmm. which by the way i want to live in janice's apartment please god it was everything oh yes uh, <laughs> i was like oh my god all the purple and the pink and the teal bless the pink flowers on yes. the wallpaper <laughs> literally yeah. give it to me but- so much glass in the room though it's oh so I much also, reflection it's intense i mm. love seeing period films filmed in different decades yes. so like this was supposed to be 60s 70s but it's so late 80s mm. take on the yeah. 50s through the 70s uh-huh. with True. like a lot of the same color palettes and that is um, the big hair and you're like yeah i guess hair was that big like you know in the 60s but mm. this is definitely like late 80s big hair yeah. interpreting the 60s um as far as Mrs. Scors- Scorsese, Joe Pesci's mother, uh, as Which a is, fully yeah, fleshed his, his out character. Oh my gosh, her! You said her scenes were improvised. Oh yeah, somewhat. Right? She she improvised her scenes. Uh, the only direction that she had in the scene uh, that she's in the, the dinner scene where, which is pretty hilarious. They've just uh, they just they think killed Billy Bats, uh, another mobster, and he's in the trunk of their cars. They're going to bury him in the woods, um, but they just pull over to. Um, Get a shovel at uh, Joe Pesci's uh, Joe Pesci's mom's house, and she's played by uh, Martin Scorsese's mom. Um, and the only direction that she had in the scene was just to lift up the painting, which of course is like an off-quoted scene. Um, but yeah, other than that, she was just winging it. Hmm. It is so Italian to show up at your mom's house, and she's like, "I'm going to cook you a full dinner." It is so <laughs> oh, Italian. Yeah. yeah, for real. 
I mean, that's also, again, my mom just, like, wants to be Italian, so she's, like, emulated that her, like, whole life. It's just like, oh, cool, like, you're coming for, like, ten minutes? Yeah, I'm gonna cook, like, a three-course meal. Like, that's just a, a thing, which then I now I have inherited, too, and I'm like, oh, yeah, let me make something. I'm like, oh, fuck. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, now I gotta do this. <laughs> right, it's 10 p.m., time to have all the dinner. Uh-huh, yep. <sighs> And then wow. she, yeah, she pulls out the painting. That should be always, that should always go hand in hand. You make the three course dinner and you pull out your paintings. The dogs, <laughs> east and west. Yes. <laughs> one looks one way, one looks the other way. Oh, so good. Yeah, Target, like, she is a scene stealer. Has she appeared in, like, any of his other movies? She's been in several of his movies. Really? Yeah. She was also in Casino. She's been, she's been in several, yeah. Oh, that's cute. That's amazing. It is cute. She always does a great job. <laughs> and uh, yeah, as we were talking about a little bit, Larry and Bracco as um, uh, as Karen, really great job. Um, and a really interesting character, especially in the sense that we were talking about before, where it, it becomes like almost a like. It's it's weird where you like kind of morally draw the line with a character like Karen because like on the one hand. Uh, she admits herself that like she was going along with these things and was culpable, but at the same time, there's like a Stockholm syndrome element involved. Yeah, and she uh, she said herself, uh, uh, Lorraine Bracco, that uh, she really wanted to. She was she she was exploring the role almost as like the role of an abuse victim, mm-hmm. um, which really shines through in a lot of moments. But is I think in in a way almost kind of lost in the narrative. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, it's, I don't know. It's like it's one of those things where just like thinking about like a woman like that in that position, like, you know, you have this person you're with who like maybe all of these things are really attractive at the beginning, like the money and like maybe like the the, edge. the rough housing. Yeah, like those sort of things. But then later on, you also realize like that means that there are like mistresses and that means that there's like, you know, like shady dealings going on and like danger close to home and all of this stuff. And it's like one of those weird things where like I was thinking about like what it would be like to like be thinking like if you should leave that person. But like also like getting used to that sort of lifestyle, like and like not really having any other like things lined up, like a career you can go to or something yeah. like that has to be fucking terrifying yeah. and how do, how do you get out of it because yeah, they, own, like, the you police, also could they die. own the police they own the courts and mm-hmm. she says that right she's like it was so insular mm-hmm. like there's no way to get out but well, and they even say that like oh she's never gonna divorce you yeah right right, right. right. Yeah, exactly yeah. Mm-hmm. and there's one scene in particular where I'm just like oh I see a shift in her character when um she's like I wanna go shopping give me money and he's like how much and she goes this but well you can't see on the <laughs> podcast <laughs> but it's just like a yeah like a finger measurement of like a bunch of money yeah Way to indicate quantities yeah. of money. <laughs> and I was like, oh, your character is changing here. Yeah. Um, but one of the scenes I love most is when Henry's in prison the second time. Yeah. And she goes to see him and she's just whipping out bread and all this other all stuff shit. she's smuggling in. Uh-huh. Yeah. The prosciutto mm-hmm. and the cheese and the wine. Uh-huh. And it the just made deli, me really. think, like, she's poor. How the hell is she get, like, she getting all of this? And that's at a time where, as she points out, like, Polly and no one else is helping out because right. they can't afford yeah. to be vicariously associated with someone who's still incarcerated. Mm-hmm. But I, I think also back to that scene when she goes up to Jimmy Conway to to in a last-ditch effort to, I guess, try to get 
something out, yeah. out of him. She she fucking does Henry's dirty work for him. Or she like this, the things he's too scared to do. She actually goes up to him and tries to negotiate some sort of deal, which I think is mm-hmm. also kind of a turning point in her character. Yes, she walks away from that s- scenario being like, that fucking terrified me. Mm-hmm. I don't want to find myself in a situation like that again. But I think it was also a recognition of like, in many ways, what a baby Henry is and mm-hmm. her actually taking a big risk for him um, and the strength that it took to do that and like f- find herself in that situation. Well, there's like almost like it's, I mean, there is like more at stake for her to make everything work out, I guess, than for even him, you mm-hmm. know? Um, mm. Like there's so many other like variables and things like I'm sure she has to worry about. And like we were talking about this earlier, like women always have these like fucking like lists and things mm-hmm. they're constantly the thinking about. Labor. And so it's just like, like, yeah, like she's uh, she's doing definitely all the emotional labor yeah. in that relationship. Um, but yeah, like then there is like that other factor of also like, you know, just a regular relationship and like having to do like all the emotional labor but then also like you get the fucking mob going on like beside that like that's gonna add maybe a couple more complications which is interesting well like one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is when um this is in the 1980s as henry hill is like deep into the cocaine game and he's making just hundreds of thousands of dollars as he's pulling out with um the the babysitter who like helps him smuggle these drugs the cops show up to the mm-hmm. house to arrest him for the second time. And she just like takes all the cocaine in the house and just flushes it down the toilet. And you're like, they could have busted in your door and like caught you red handed flushing on it. So yeah. it's a really mm-hmm. interesting character. And then he gets mad at her when yeah. he comes back and is like, where's that Coke that we had stashed? That was going to like be, it you know, our ticket out. They were never going to find was like, it. Exactly. It was in a fucking lunch bag. In the kitchen. In the cupboard. <laughs> it's like, obviously they were going to find it. And you can see it in her eyes. And I was thinking the same thing. I was like, she did exactly the right thing. Yeah. She yeah. got rid of it. There's no way she could have hit it where the like police mm-hmm. wouldn't have been able to find it. She did what was needed in that situation. And he's yelling at her for what he perceives as the wrong choice and clearly also a complete disconnect him, like not even fully comprehending the situation and her handling it in the best way possible. Yeah, she not even getting, like, credit in right, that situation. Like, yeah, I like, saved your ass. Yeah, <laughs> like, you fucking asshole. Yeah, I would have responded the exact same <laughs> way. Oh, I, like, yeah, it, stuff like that in movies where I'm like, oh, God, I'm so angry right now. <laughs> I think what's great is, like, this, I feel like with some movies, the director would be like, yeah, you are dumb for doing that decision. But Scorsese, I feel like, just lets it be. Like, he just lets the events unfold as they are and lets the audience kind of do with you know what he wants if that yeah. makes sense yeah. it does yeah yeah there isn't like a tone like a moralizing tone per se if the story is sort of what it is and even by the end the the thing that we're left as an audience to feel pitiable about or to the contrary depending on interpretation um is that henry hill after all of this uh is living like the rest of us Mm-hmm. Like that's the sad thing that is is uh, ratting out everybody cost mm-hmm. him uh, a life of prestige and and access that uh, that like they and they even say like we used to look upon like people that rode the subway to work as sh- uh, schnooks they were already dead like that whole mm-hmm. deal mm-hmm. which like it's interesting too because when I first saw Goodfellas I was still like young enough where I 
wanted all the movies to have like a happy ending for the main character and mm-hmm. stuff. And I feel like I remember that being one of those movies where like technically I guess it's a happy ending for him. And so I was kind of just like, huh, I don't know. If <laughs> but it's I, not the right ending. I was like, I don't know if that's how it should have ended for him. I, I, <laughs> He's well, like in his robe, up. grabbing the morning papers, staring right at the camera. Yeah, yeah. You're like maybe not. <laughs> but, the, but there was one line that um, Henry says about Jimmy, I think, which is he when he watches a movie he roots for the bad guys yeah and like the whole movie mm. you're like yes I want these people to succeed mm-hmm. and you're almost angry that Henry eventually does rat out Polly mm. and Jimmy mm-hmm. and like when you're watching Jimmy on trial. Um, you're like, oh fuck! I wish this wasn't happening. Yeah, and the look on Polly's face in the courtroom. Oh my god, that hurt. That and, like hurt. cops are always portrayed so interesting in these movies too, where like they're <laughs> either like they like are fucking like fucking suck, or they're on the payroll, or they're idiots. You know, like oh, it's like yeah. one of those yeah, things. Where you're yeah. like, yeah, there's no way I want to root for them. Fuck those people. <laughs> <Yeah>. They suck. <laughs> but speaking of being on the payroll. Okay, so you know how, like, when um, Jimmy or Henry, anytime they would, like, interact with somebody, like, when um, Henry and Karen are going on their date and um, Henry just gives people 20s? She's like, you yeah. gave everybody 20s. I figured out how much money that would be today. Oh, wow. It's, like, $165. Damn. Jeez. Wow. Just That's slip intense. it right in the front pocket. I was like... <laughs> I want this to be me. <laughs> you want to have all that money or you want someone to slip you $165? <laughs> Either way, it works out. I yeah. want to go we up to someone. We already know that you're like ready to ma- marry someone in the mob. So. <laughs> just go to sell Philly and You're wait. like, I want that house. I want that husband. <laughs> and just yeah, hold up your fingers money. Uh, mm-hmm. An entire inch apart and just say, I want this much money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God, that would be nice. As yeah. long as it's not ones. An inch. Well, I mean, hey, I'll take a an stack inch of any bills. One. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, I'm not, at this point, <laughs> I'm not at a point in my I'll life where I can say no to money. Um, that reminds me of Parks and Rec when uh, Andy Dwyer goes to the bank and it's like, I want to hold a hundred dollars, yeah. <laughs> but it's a hundred. It's just like what twenties, and he's like, this isn't a lot. Can you give it to me in pennies? <laughs> That's the second reference of that specific thing on this podcast. Is it? Oh wow. Give me a hundred dollars in pennies. It's a great scene. <laughs> oh, when Chris Pratt was, was, was not. Fun. Yeah. Mm. And he was chubby. Um, <laughs> before we get into um, some production stuff that I would like to to delve into a little bit, because there are some really fascinating things about how well oiled a machine this movie was. Um, does anybody have any real favorite scenes or standout notes they want to talk about? It's got to be the one shot. Oh, into the Copacabana. Into the Copacabana. Oh, um, yes. It's this, how long is it? Like That's, eight minutes ish? It's long. I don't know that it's eight. It's it feels... probably at least three to four minutes. Hmm. So um, Henry and Karen go on like he's kind of um, Joe Pesci kind of drags uh, Henry Hill along on a date because it's like the girl doesn't want to go with just an Italian guy alone. So he drags Henry Hill onto this double date with Karen and he's just like he has other stuff going on. Not really into it. Blows it off. And then, yeah, then and then be also the second time. They have a. They're supposed to have a date. He blows it off entirely, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then she storms up in front of everybody outside the deli, so pissed. And she's That's such great. A good scene. She's so great in that part, just giving him shit. Uh, but then they go on that date, yeah, and then they go into the the Copa. And he's like, "I'm gonna treat you real right." And then Copa Cabana, really big lounge restaurant thing. Line is like wrapped around the block, mm-hmm. and then he just walks Karen down through the kitchen, and it's just like unbroken one shot sequence of like them working through the kitchens yeah. and going back and forth, and he's slipping people twenties. 
It's like, hey, you're here all the time. $165. Like, yep. <laughs> Each. He's high-fiving the chef. Um, then the waiter like drags a table off, clears tables away, so they're right in front of the stage. Mm. Uh, which is a really great sequence, like the power that Henry Hill has. And then the scene still doesn't end, because yep. then, then it's the shot of the performers yeah. who, mm-hmm. who then have to do a perform Like, the amount of mm. coordination it took to... to yeah film that scene and to make it feel like that these are just people working in the kitchen like you're just finding them in the moment like nothing felt choreographed Mm. everything just felt like yeah natural even to the point that henry bumps into like an oven as he's going yeah Mm. um yeah my production notes on that were interestingly enough the reason it was shot that way was because uh it would have been too expensive to have gone through the front door Oh, so, that's it would have been so different though so if they instead, had gone through the main entrance. It's like no, the whole point is he had the secret access and knew how to get. And it's into way it. better, but yeah. apparently yeah, that's, so much better. that's pretty much the reason. Huh. But then they uh, they went through the shot and they mapped it out throughout that that different entrance so that they could get to the stage area, um, and uh, it wound up being uh, eight takes, and was less than a day's worth of production, which is incredible. Wow, yeah, crazy. Um, my my favorite scene is probably the sexiest moment in the whole movie and it's cutting garlic wow. with Ooh. a fucking razor right. right. blade. Yes, yes, yes. Because <laughs> um, as we've already established, I'm probably going to be an Italian grandmother. Um, but like, <laughs> like, you know, also being Italian, um, garlic is a pretty big part of my life and any time that, you know, a recipe calls for two cloves, there's probably going to be like four to six cloves in that recipe. Yeah. Good, yeah. Um, so but like, oh my god, and they're just talking about it like melting and stuff like that and even at a very young age I was like, god, this might be the best like cooking advice I'll like ever get. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to buy razor blades and bring them to the kitchen. <laughs> but like that scene's still like, um, you know, like that's a movie where I've seen like several times, but definitely like in like pretty wide gaps of time. And that's like always the thing that like sticks out in my head that I always remember from that. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people remember that sequence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what scene I really liked a lot? Um, when Henry first gets pinched when he was like a little kid Mm -hmm. and he walks out of the courtroom and everyone is just there and clapping for him Mm. because I was just like, oh, this is like, no wonder why people get wrapped up in this kind of shit because Mm -hmm. that feels good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have that support network. Community. Yeah. Yeah. When he like addresses his name to like the judge, then like one of the mob lawyers comes up like, sit down. Mm -hmm. Don't say anything. I got this. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Christine, any favorite? I, I mean, mine's with uh, Joe Pesci's mom. Them all sitting at the table, her pulling out the painting, while the guy that you think is Slowly dead is actually uh, oh, yeah. coming into consciousness in the trunk mm. of the car and like banging on it. And then it cuts back to the mother just being like, I'm going to make you some food. How you how you feeling? No, but you, mm. you don't look so good. <laughs> Why don't you talk? <laughs> yeah. Why don't you settle down? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know what? I just thought of another scene that actually, like, I really loved. So after, um, what the hell is his name? What is Joe Pesci's name in the... Tommy. 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 After Tommy dies. So, so, okay, they set the scene, like, all right, Tommy's going to be made. And Jimmy's, like, calling a bunch of times. and, And Henry's like... Oh, that shows how much he cares. That's right. really sweet. And like, you kind of expect something sinister, but is it Jimmy? Like, what's going on? Who's mm. going to do it? And so when Jimmy calls and he's like, yeah, you know, he's gone. He's just gone. There's nothing we can do. And, and like, he's, he's gone. 
and you see Jimmy cry. Mm-hmm. You don't see like movies where masculine men cry like that. Mm-hmm. And so I just loved the fact that Robert De Niro. I mean, like there were like no tears coming out, but like he genuinely was upset. Yeah. I wondered why his character was so attached to Tommy. I I saw Jimmy Conway as a very calculating and sinister presence, but in a very, uh, like I could see that he was a smart and calculating Mm. guy. And I, for the whole movie, didn't understand why he always had Tommy's back. I feel like he could see Tommy for like the like, uh, just the for who he was, he yeah. was yeah. yeah, this loose cannon Especially that he was. Especially during the spider sequence. And so oh my God. when he leaves the, oh God, for fucking shooting spider in the foot and then in the and then killing him. him. Death. Yeah. So when he leaves the phone booth and that uh, crying scene is there, I also agree, it was very striking. But I remember also thinking like, why... Did you feel for this guy so much through the whole movie? I think it's a, it may be a combination of things because on the one hand, you know, of course, he's he's got this long standing attachment to both Henry and to Tommy because he's worked with them since they were kids. Um, mm. But also, you know, it, it, he's a guy that was going to bump off everyone involved in a heist, as Henry points out. Not because they could be loose ends specifically, but because he could also benefit from not paying them. Mm. Whereas, like, Tommy would have been his in. His he way was, in, yeah. He was half Irish. He could, his uh, right, Sicilian exactly. roots couldn't be traced back. He was going to be, you know, he was excited because he would be working for him one yeah. day. Mm-hmm. So I think a combination of those two things, maybe. Because if any, between the two of them, it was really Jimmy who should be, el- like, the boss. Like, so, yeah, yeah. He could have mm-hmm. some well, sort of, that world, yeah. right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting too, like, you know, thinking about that. And it's just like, I feel like a lot of us, like, watching that movie are just kind of coming from the angle of, like, being smart in those situations. And, you, like, so when you see a character that's a loose cannon like that, you're me like, oh, like, that's that's not going to work. Like, you need to be, like, cool, like, in these situations. So I also just feel like we're ready for those kind of characters to die. Or, like, when they do, it yeah. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're not looking at it necessarily from that perspective of, like, emotional attachment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um and I yeah, the the yeah, one of the final deaths is Tommy's death and I guess it is sort of mm. eventually leading up to that. Mm-hmm. And the yeah, the aerial shot of the blood coming from his head like pouring so out intense. of his head. Yeah. And when he just realizes it. So oh, like Oh no. <sighs> mm-hmm. So good. Mm. Yeah, they bring him into the house where he's going to be made, become a part of the you know, full member of the mob, walks into a room. It's just like an empty, empty room, which is like a random room. And they just shoot him in the back of the head. And it's Tommy, right? Yeah. Which is interesting because also the, in The Godfather, Tom is the... the um, Consigliere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's like part of the family, but he's Irish, so he's like not really a part of the family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which like, I, that's interesting too that they have the same name. I loved this scene at the wedding. He was like, everyone's either named Paul or Peter. <laughs> Polly! And Peter. Marie. Petey. And Marie, yeah. And Marie, yeah. And they name all their daughters Marie. Yeah. Oh, God. 
Oh, but when they give her all those envelopes full of money, <gasps> I, I was like, another scene that always sticks in my head. Which yeah. is so money. not subtle. Putting money in an envelope is supposed to suggest some sort of subtle way of handing someone <laughs> some bills. But it's mm. got a big Benjamin Franklin right on the front of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, I clearly know what that is. it's all the same envelope. I was like, this is my future. Come on. <laughs> but there is one that's handed off that's like a fat stack among yes. all of them even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of ones. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> hey, one dollar bills worth a lot more in yeah nineteen seventies. So Connor, you and uh, Alyssa will be um, asking for large envelopes. I'm, I'm guessing large envelopes of cash. Yeah, <laughs> but not one hundred dollar bills only. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think my two favorite scenes are one is like just like a little micro moment, um, which is. One of those things, like when we talked about Fargo, how it uh, it shifts between humor and like sinister horror, or just like mm. messed up stuff going on. Um, after uh, after uh, Tommy has shot Spider um, fatally, like after he shoots him in the foot and gives him shit for it, and then um, he returns and he in return gives Tommy shit, Pesci's character, and Pesci overreacts and shoots him to death. Mm. Um, as he's getting up, he's just right right before they make the cut. And we're going to talk about editing shortly. Uh, right before they make the cut to the next scene, um, the last thing that he's saying is, what, first hole I dug? No big deal. Where are the shovels? And then it cuts. <laughs> just and- the line, where are the shovels? Mm. Right before that cut. Oof. Which is supposed to be like a really serious moment, but still yeah. has that line right at the end. Yeah. Is so good. And mm. then who always has the shovels? It's mom. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, oh, they've just killed someone. They're like, where do we get a shovel? Go oh, my mom got get a shovel. <laughs> and she knows. Like, oh. I feel like all these women returning to the theme of like, they kind of know. Even if like you like don't know, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> why else would someone need to shovel a ton of clocks? Yeah. At night? Yeah. Um. Then the other favorite sequence I have is of course the big reveal of like um, of Jimmy taking down those involved in a left Hansa heist. Um, because as as we know before, like they're lavishly spending this money in a really obvious and like public way Mm. that he's really displeased with. Um, so finally when he knocks everybody off and it's, uh, Eric Clapton's song, Layla, Layla, Uh and the way that all of that syncs up is masterful. And it's part of their production too, because they had speakers on set so that they could specifically film it in sync with the, the bars of the music, um, Mm. like down to a T. Um, and everything is like so perfectly timed within that sequence. Um, it's so iconic. I can't think of, I don't think of that song unless I think of Goodfellas. Mm. <laughs> um, and it's really, really fantastic. Um, so I would say that's my favorite. The pink car that's just like splattered with blood on the inside. Mm-hmm. And then right the cascading the bodies in the back of the truck. Something like right. very beautiful about the it really, shot. It mm-hmm. is a beautiful shot and horrific. Like, again, connecting to that idea, Dave, you're bringing up this like balance of sort of comedic and horror. And this is this is like beauty and just. Were we talking complete... about that scene in John Wick too? Are we talking about the that death that is like beautiful? Like it's like really oh, gruesome, but in, like yes, yeah, in in mm-hmm. the big uh, mm-hmm. like pa- like when yeah, the... like the bathtub. Y- yes, thing. yeah, and there's this crazy death in John Wick too, where it's like so gross, but like you're also like also stunningly beautiful. Whoa, this is gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like everything about this looks amazing. <laughs> Takes me back to Mama dying in our first episode. Dread. Yeah. Oh damn, that's She's a good one. Like, oh, Five hundred stories or whatever. Oh, that was fun. We've come so far. <laughs> <laughs> so far. Six 
months. We were at Christine's house. <laughs> on the floor. We're still on the floor. Yeah, we're still on the floor. Oh. You can hear the trolleys passing. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, the trolley. That's my trolley sound. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. My dream once was to be a sound effects person, but Foley <laughs> that'll yeah. never happen. Like taking like cabbages on like a cutting board and making like an alien mm. Oh, or something. Yeah, I saw a video of people doing that for A Quiet Place. Mm. And it's like, you know, the sounds have to be so purposeful in that movie. It was really cool. I remember just like as a kid trying to like take like rice and stuff mm-hmm. and like my mom's like kitchen stuff and make like rain sounds. <laughs> sure. It's raining so hard, shakes bag of mm-hmm. rice. Yeah. <laughs> Thunderclap. Yep. Well, speaking of Foley work and music. <laughs> Perfect segue. segue. Um a couple notes on the production of the film, uh, because I found, I found some of it to be really interesting. This is a film I've loved for most of my life, but have only really thoroughly researched within this past month. And it's been really, really great and to learn more about the movie um, and how, again, how fine tuned its production was. Um, the screenplay was written as a collaboration uh, and is, is credited as such between Martin Scorsese and Nicholas Pileggi, the author of the, uh, the book, uh, but was largely left open to uh, dialogue improvised from the cast. In fact, um, the sequence with uh, Tommy famously uh, coming at Henry with the uh, how am I funny? What do you mm. mean I'm funny? That whole bit was um, was improvised in rehearsal um, based on something that Joe Pesci himself had experienced with a mobster in a bar in his youth. Mm. <laughs> like he actually he was on the receiving end of that experience <laughs> oh, at one golly. point. Mm. So he brought that to the table. And uh, because it was just a central cast working on it as they were working in these improvised lines into the script. Uh, it was kept out of the uh, the script that the actors surrounding them in the scene had. Mm. So when they shot that sequence and uh, Pesci is coming super hard uh, against, uh, against Leota and is just giving him all this shit about like his comment about him being funny and dissecting mm. it and it getting really intense and really uncomfortable, especially because we know him to be a really violent and volatile character. Uh, the actors surrounding them on all sides weren't aware of where this was going, which is why rather than using the traditional close-up, which you would use for a tense scene, Scorsese elected for the uh, the medium wide shot mm. so, so that he could show their, their reactions as it became increasingly intense without their knowledge of where it was going. Mm. It also is it's such a long scene that it it I feel like there's my knowledge of like, crafts of comedy is not Mm. extensive but there's this idea of drawing out a joke where it's like because i've seen scenes before where it's a similar conceit and maybe it's copying the godfather where it'll be like something will be tense and be like ah gotcha 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 (laughs) this but this follows this wave of like Oh, he's play, he's playing around. Oh, ha ha! Waiting for that gotcha moment, and then it keeps pushing it, keeps extending, keeps mm-hmm. extending, and you're like, I don't really actually know where this is gonna go. Yeah. And you finally are like waiting for the punchline, and it keeps keeps going, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, fuck it, <laughs> this could go any which of way, <laughs> and then finally you get what you could kind of see would be the ultimate punchline, but it's like a great extension of of like a long sort of a more long form joke and i guess really it is that way because of that improvised the improvised element which like is interesting because based on like dave like what you said with like how serious de niro was taking like the role like by like figuring out all the teeny little like details of this person's personality like 
it seems like it would be easier, I guess, to improvise if, like, people are in that headspace. Mm -hmm. Because, like, if I guess they're so, like, you know, in that character anyway, like, probably don't need the lines as much. Like, you probably can just kind of, like, if you know, like, the setting, like, kind of deliver those things. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah, and... um Absolutely. And a big part of it also, uh, one thing that was really interesting, um, which I'm sorry, I'm just sifting through my notes to find it here. Yeah, it's um, because of the use of improvisation uh, throughout the production and because of the script, uh, the word fuck and its derivatives are used 321 times for an average of 2.4 per minute. <laughs> But not be wow. now. But didn't the departed win the uh, like title of having the most fucks in a movie? This uh, at the time sat at the twelfth uh, most F laden film ever released. <laughs> um, so yeah, apparently like there were like seventy or so within the script, but because of the improvisation, uh, half of half right. of them accredited to Joe Pesci within the film. Uh, it, it soared to uh, to that number. Uh, Pesci's mom, upon finishing her first viewing of the film, said she uh, thought it was a very good movie and she was proud of her son, but asked if he had to curse so much in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's mom <laughs> Would have liked a little less f bombs. <laughs> other other interesting stuff about the the production of the film includes that. Um, According to the author, Nick Pileggi, uh, the author of Wise Guys, uh, some actual mobsters were hired as extras to lend authenticity to the scenes. The mobsters gave fake social security numbers to Warner Brothers, and it's unknown how they actually received their paychecks. <laughs> um, God, that's so funny. Robert De Niro wanted to use real money for the scene where Jimmy hands out money, but he didn't like the way fake money felt in his hands. The prop master gave De Niro $5,000 of his own money, and at the end of each take, no one was allowed to leave the set until the money was returned and counted. Dang. What a like, Zero. yeah. I, I need to have the feeling of real money. I know how Come he wiped on. his lips. Oh, that extended also to Lorraine Bracco, who, uh, when that standard and precedent was set, she's insisted that she use real jewelry throughout the production Damn. of the film. She's got, yeah. Which needed to be returned uh, to the prop part. department, of I course. I mean, hey, if you can just like say something like that and people do it, like, yeah, you just keep making ridiculous requests, obviously. <laughs> Um, according to Pelegi, Scorsese knew exactly how he wanted the movie to look from beginning to end. Uh, they wrote uh, each scene with certain shots and camera angles in mind with specific music cues um, to the point that uh, while working on the script, Pelegi would say uh, that he would say writing a scene where it's uh, that one of the iconic zoom ins on De Niro's face as he's pondering uh, bumping off Maury mm. at the oh, bar. And the song, uh, I forget the name of the song, but a cream song comes in. Mm. Like uh, that classic. Dun, 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 mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dun, and um, as, they, as they were writing, in a way <laughs> that uh, Pelegi couldn't understand at the time, Scorsese was just like, in their fever of writing, was just excitedly like, ooh, write cream there. Write cream. We need to remember that. And he was like, I don't know what you're talking about, but okay. And then that wound up being the artist that was iconically yeah. used in the scene. That's so good. Um, so much good music. So, and, and to your, uh, point that you made in an Oscars episode or like a best of 2018, uh, creating an Oscars category for music supervision. Exactly. And I think this movie showcases exactly how putting the perfect song within a scene can really make that scene. There are a few scenes that don't, there's no score. Uh, and there are a few scenes that don't feature music. Sometimes the dialogue intentionally drops out so that lyrics of the songs are highlighted 
within the film and the film has 43 songs in it the equivalent of about four albums wow holy shit i love watching being like i want to listen to that whole Mm -hmm. soundtrack i'm sure someone has created a spotify playlist Mm -hmm. i'm sure like all 34 of these songs and load them up and listen to them there's what makes be vinyl that... somewhere, right? There's gonna be Goodfellas fucking soundtrack you can get. A yeah. four LP set, yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, like uh, we listened to we were making dinner the other night. We listened to the Guardians one, which is also like, ooh, every song in this is so fucking good. <laughs> it's also a great way to to uh, depict the passing of time because you hear classic songs from mm, different decades. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you can hear that evolution over the course of you know over the course of the movie. And that's kind of a cool thing mm-hmm. to kind of piece together. It kind of like Forrest Gump's it. It's really interesting. <laughs> ah, yeah. So like little beacons of each decade. This movie is way better than Forrest yeah, Gump. Yeah, I would. <laughs> I do like Forrest Gump, but yeah, it is better. Um, so to quickly. I mean, I don't know if we can compare those two <laughs> movies that much. <laughs> well, they're kind of epic in their Oh, life is ways. like a box of chocolates. Uh-huh. It's a box of Never mind. I mean, clearly those movies <laughs> live in the same <laughs> universe, right? Oh, yeah. What yeah. if they do? <laughs> I want to see, I see Joe Pesci and Forrest Gump. Just oh, like that might dinner. be a fun thing to do one time. We have to create our own weird universes with like a combination Ooh. of fucking movies. But the only staple is that it's happening in the same one as Forrest uh-huh. Gump. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine like 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> oh my Avengers. god, that's so funny. <laughs> I can't do that, David. <laughs> or when the, when the cavemen are like, Bowing to the obelisk, Forrest Gump's just there with like his. You're thinking like the lights, you know, like the lights just going happening by. upon this moment. He's <laughs> just like running by. Oh, what's going on over there? Uh, so, <laughs> back to the task at hand. <laughs> so as this applies to, um, just to, so, as we're wrapping things up here a little bit, um, uh, this was my pick for the Oscar uh, anti-Oscar month because. Um, there was a, the film was pretty, uh, you know, pretty respected within the Oscar nominations uh, that year, mm-hmm. um, at least in terms of nominations. It was nominated for Best Picture. It was nominated for uh, Best Supporting Actor, uh, which was uh, Joe Pesci, Best Supporting Actress, Lorraine Bronco, uh, Best Editing, and Best Director. Um, Joe Pesci did win uh, Best Supporting Actor for his role. Uh, which is interesting because he played basically the same role, but a little bit better a few years later in another Scorsese film called Casino. Mm-hmm. Like, pretty much the exact same role, uh, but brought more pathos to it, which was more interesting, I thought. But, you know, uh, he did a good job. Um, uh, Lorraine Bracco um, lost to uh, Whoopi Goldberg for her performance in Ghost, mm. um, which Wait, was also good. What? I've ne- well, I've never seen Ghost. But oh, really? Also, I'm just like, I know that Whoopi Goldberg's in it, but like, she's, I just, she's great. Okay. She's, really she's really good. good. <laughs> she's really good at it. But I was like, in my head, I'm just like, wait, that sounds weird. <laughs> so it is what it is. It's fine. Um, uh, it lost best editing um, to Dances with Wolves. Which, uh, going back to our last episode when we were doing our Oscar swaps, uh, or that was a few episodes ago, I do take that back. This should have been my swap because it went to Dances with Wolves, which is a good movie. It's a good movie, and we'll get into that a little it's bit. It's a four-hour movie. 
But its editing is nothing spectacular. It's already s- cinematically like it, its cinematography is really good. However, you're going to edit that movie, it would look it would look good. Mm. Whereas the editing uh, via the help of Mar- Martin Scorsese and uh, Thelma Shoemaker, his um, his kind of standby film editor, they really created almost like a, a feel to a genre within film, uh, like the fast paced quick cut edit uh crime drama mm-hmm. i mean it was revisited with people like guy Ritchie, uh quentin tarantino it troy miller the momentum the of the movie i have my feelings about but but yeah it maintains a certain a certain momentum in uh in storytelling via its editing well, and you were it saying last out night, dances with wolves and you were saying last night how scorsese wanted this to feel like a two and a half hour trailer <clears> right <throat> kind of or at least that's that's more or less how he described the movie he wanted to make. He wanted to make a movie that was, yeah, that had the pacing and, like, quick cuts of, uh, in his description, like, uh, the new age of cinema in, like, the 1960s with a lot of quick cuts and a lot of mm. sudden close-ups and things. But also almost feeling like a trailer. Like, it has a, th- this forward momentum that propels you through it even though it's a two-and-a-half-hour film. Yeah. Um, which I think it does really greatly because it, it, it's a long movie, but it doesn't feel tiring for me mm. not at all it's um, also interesting because we've talked about the way like the academy like votes and stuff as we've been talking about the academy a lot um and i feel like a lot of times like those sort of like like editing and things like that aren't necessarily like thought of as like the most important ones they were gonna be cut this year which yeah there was a lot of backlash in me. i mean yeah. which, like, that also makes cinematography me... why do the yeah. awards right but, like if, if those are the things that they're like eh, like we don't care about these like they can be cut that sort of thing it's just like well then how much do the people voting for them care about it too yeah um which is like i also think problematic because like yeah like they're you know there's i think those are some of the more interesting ones because like um yeah, like, especially now, like, as I'm, like, getting older and watching more movies and stuff like that, like, those are the things I notice, like, much more yeah. um, in, like, details. Like, even just talking about music and stuff, music has been so important for me in a lot of movies lately that, like, mm. that, like, score and everything and, like, sound editing, like, all of that stuff seems so much more important than some of this other <laughs> shit. <laughs> also, it just comes down to the fact that these awards don't matter. matter. <laughs> yeah. If there's one yeah. takeaway from this month. Mm-hmm. But while we're talking about him, also, <laughs> uh, director Martin Scorsese lost to uh, Kevin Costner for Dances with Wolves. Uh, it also lost Best, best Picture to Dances with Wolves. Uh, if you're going to say Costner Dances... got Best Director and Best Picture? He did. Damn. Wow. If you're going to give it to Dances with Wolves for Best Picture, which... And this is an interesting thing. It's something we talked about this mm-hmm. month. As far as representation, mm-hmm. um, the movie did make an effort to employ um, more Native American actors than any other f- American film at that time. Um, that said, its lead it, it's, uh, it's its lead woman performance is a white woman yeah. playing mm. uh, a Native American woman. Uh, it is, of course, you know Kevin Costner kind of riding in in, in certain the c- white savior, cir- yeah, certain cir- yeah. circumstances saving the day, and it's a very tried uh, yeah. and overtread kind of racial narrative. Um, but it did it did do some things for the industry that I think were positive. That having been said, uh, whether whether or not I think it's a better movie than Goodfellas is irrelevant. I I know for a fact that Goodfellas was directed better mm. than Dances of the Wolves was. Because Scorsese poured himself into every aspect of the film, as we discussed, down to ironing, down to tying ties, down to music cues written into the script. Mm -hmm. He was on top of everything. And 
as uh, we touched on earlier this month, he was finally given the Academy Award for Best Director for The Departed, which I do think is a great movie, but I don't think deserved the Best Director nomination as much as this movie did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like The Departed, build, I think that builds tension really well, and it like I, I feel like the action sort of builds to the climactic fi- you know, final scenes and things like that. But what I think was so wonderful about Goodfellas is there wasn't really a primary, like, thrust as far as, like, action. Even Mm. all the things that would be depicted in other movies, like the big heist at uh, JFK Airport, which would would be its own movie, or at least I feel like a feature prominently towards the end of a movie. That wasn't even, that didn't even need to be in the movie to have it feel still like mm. have a sense of momentum as I had mentioned before. And I, I think it it's definitely due to Scorsese's directing and the editing and the feel that you can be invested in these characters and it yeah. feel like it builds without doing sort of more obvious choices. Like, oh, let's devote 25 minutes to this heist scene, which doesn't actually need yeah. to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, it does, it like sucks that like people aren't getting like the recognition, like, they should have like when the moment is right, right. Um, which I mean just happens so often, like fucking throughout history and everything. Um, but like you know, it's like we've been talking about this a lot with like Spike Lee and mm-hmm. um, you know where things might go like this year, and it's just like it feels like one of those things where it's like you know you've had like you get your like punch card, you finally got them all, so here you go, we're like giving you a free one, you yeah, know, like yeah. okay, like I guess we'll give it to you now, <laughs> like. Which just, like, sucks, because obviously, like, you know, I think The Departed is, like, not his best work. It's great, but it's, it's great, like, not, but it's not the best. Um, which, like, I haven't seen Black Klansman, but from what I've, like, heard, that's, like, not necessarily the best of his, like, either. So it's just kind of how these fucking bullshit awards work out, it seems like. Yeah. I love also yeah. comparing longevity of careers. Like, wh- what is Kevin Costner doing right now? <laughs> Nothing. Well, and even how, like... <laughs> I want to, like, type in, what is what, Kevin Costner doing you, Kevin? right now? Uh, and I even think, like, in terms of, like, pop culture, like, staying power, Goodfellas has way more staying yeah. power than Dance of the Wolves. I will say, does. Dance of the Wolves has a heavy rotation in the Rayburn household <laughs> <laughs> growing up. Really? I've that was, like, one of our VHSs. We had it in, like, double VHS. But, you know, that is exactly where I wanted to lead this conversation out on, um, is that... Um, at the end of the day, you know, uh, what wins the award wins the award. But what stays within the minds and hearts of the moviegoers uh, is really, you know, maybe the true measure of these these movies and these uh, these years when stacked against each other. Um, so I do have two things that we're going to uh, watch together very quickly. And uh, I'll plug it in so we can listen to – you folks can listen at home. Um, <laughs> two, nice, uh, two nice little uh, – References to the movie Goodfellas that appear in pop culture, among countless others. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's basically single-handedly uh, via the creator of the show responsible for The Sopranos. Um, mm-hmm. It has been and Spider. You said that the guy Michael Imperioli Spider. and several other people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's referenced uh, countless times. Several of the lines. Um, uh, I forget the opening line, but to the effect of like, uh, even when I was from the time I was a little kid, I knew that I wanted to be a gangster. Uh, and uh, funny how, how am I funny, are two lines that are on dozens of lists for the most mm. oft-quoted movie lines uh, within cinema history. 
Speaking of which, we're going to watch two things real quick. We're going to plug in the audio and give a quick response, and uh, then we will uh, wrap up. Ever since I was a kid, I wanted to dabble in the mafia. With people like Jimmy, the businessman of Diglio. Anthony, one-time Branca. He was called that because he said everything one time. Jesus, this suit stinks. What? And me, Tommy, Wami, Omira. <laughs> we were a bunch of pallies. Yep. Loopy nerd. We buried, he's probably stinking up the whole Parking. forest by now. Hey, watch your mother, father, mouth. Don't you tell me what to do, you little piece of shoe. Hey, kiss my aunt, you mother, father. All right, so that was a Mr. Show sketch from, uh, from the early 90s, which probably shortly released after this film came out. Um, as uh, one thing that's a visual gag that I guess won't be heard by the listeners is that it makes a note that it's been edited for television, mm. which if you've ever seen Goodfellas on television is exactly that experience because they have to edit out every Everything. like, yeah, I, I guess, what is it? 2.4 words a minute. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, pretty great little sketch there. And the substitute words they uh, select mother, for father. mother, <laughs> mother, father. <laughs> you little shoe. <laughs> well, you've, you've seen the edited version of uh, snakes on a plane, right? No. Oh my god, it's oh, that's so a funny. Good line. Get these um, mother father snakes. It's, um, it's like I've had it with these. Um, oh crap, I forget what he says. It's like I've had it with these like something, um, but he calls it on instead of a motherfucking plane. He said a Monday. Monday to Friday Monday plane. Monday to Friday plane? And yeah. like, what the fuck does that mean? This needs to be the topic of a whole other movie. Oh, yeah, oh my God. for sure. We only yeah. fly Monday through Friday. Monday or through Friday. Saturday and Sunday, you're, on your, you're flying your own plane. <laughs> my personal favorite TV edit in uh, The Big Lebowski is, uh, of course, Walter wigging out on um, uh, Larry's car. Oh, yeah. Outside of the house. Oh, yeah. And the TV edit rather than, uh, this is what happens, Larry, when you fuck a stranger in the asses. This is what happens, Larry. This is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. In the Alps? Find a stranger in the Alps. <laughs> well, Inconceivable. It, it's uh, monkey fighting snakes, is oh, what he right. says. Yeah. It's monkey fights. On this Monday through Friday. Oh, plane. I've seen a meme about that, but I didn't know yeah. what it was. But it's like their mouths are so clearly oh, it's saying so funny. It. It's so bad. There's that movie where um, Mark Wahlberg is like a stalker, and he's fear. Yeah, fear. Fucking oh my god, that movie. that movie has like a lot of like swears in it, and the only time I've ever seen it is on like I don't know, like TNT or whatever. So it's always <laughs> edited, and I'm always like, that's not what he really said. <laughs> it's also a pretty great little moment in the sketch that we've watched that. Um, when Bob Odenkirk goes to flip off uh, Jay Johnston, <laughs> if uh, photo imposes uh, rather than uh, giving him the finger a big thumbs up, it's like a magnified <laughs> thumbs up. Yeah. Oh, so good. And we do have one more little piece of a pop culture reference uh, for you that relates back to Goodfellas really quick. This one in children's entertainment. So we'll oh have my. a look at that really quick oh. and then uh, return with you. All right, we did it. Yes, Pesto, you are one swell bird. What do you mean by that? Well, I, I said you're swell, that's all. You saying that I got a big head? Is that what you're saying? What am I, a bloated, puffy, round head here to amuse you? No, I didn't say that. I just, I said you're swell. I am swell? Yeah, you're swell. Swell? Yeah. 
So that, of course, a clip from Animaniacs, um, a 1990s uh, kid show uh, on the WB that featured a, a regular segment called uh, Good Feathers, which was um, a three-pigeon parody of uh, the movie Goodfellas, which was my first introduction <laughs> to the show or to the movie. Like, I had watched Animaniacs before I saw Goodfellas, yeah. and when I saw Goodfellas, it was just sort of like, oh... There's so much of our childhood that's just references uh-huh. to other mm-hmm. stuff that we don't find out till much later. Yeah. <laughs> I need to rewatch Animaniacs because I'm sure no. it's just a treasure trove. It's really that show good. slaps even to this it's day. It's so, so fucking good. good. <laughs> and who doesn't want to live in the WB Tower? Yeah, I know, right? Oh, remember some that? plush accommodation. fucking frog? Do you remember the WB store? No. Oh, no. no. Our no. mall had a WB store. And Are it you was like, It was like the Disney store. But, like, you know. Uh, had Batman the Animated Series yeah, stuff? Yeah, like. Oh, oh cool. Also, Disney oh. stores used to be much cooler if people remember that. Oh, yeah, when we were yeah, kids, yeah, they had the stores. animatronics. So this was, uh-huh. like, the same thing. It was, like, you had to hit up the Disney store and the WB store when you went to the mall. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Toys got their lineup. too poor to even go to the mall. <laughs> it was like, oh, you can think of the mall, but you can't go to it. You can think of the mall. <laughs> well, my grandfather worked at the mall, too. Oh, he worked okay. in sales. So we used to go visit him. And he would, uh, you know, give me five bucks a lot of the time. So nice. Yeah, that Just I could like spend. Sam, what would you say the distance between your thumb and your forefinger would be? As far as how many bills? <laughs> as a young child, so. <laughs> one centimeter. I'm rolling up to Zales, getting five bucks. Like, okay. <laughs> also, getting money at Zales is a funny idea. <laughs> Also, please, parents, if you heard me say that, we had I had plenty of toys. I had plenty of toys. <laughs> plenty of toys. Remember KB Toys? Um, Rest yes. in peace. Uh-huh. I got my first and only Furby from Aww. there. I had oh, a little graduation I thought, camp. I thought Furbies were creepy, so I didn't have them. They were. Yeah. You know, speaking of uh, speaking of Furbies and KB Toys, um, so we are, uh, we're a... Uh, we thank you for joining us for our uh, Goodfellas discussion. Uh, the next month, we'll be tying into uh, some stuff very relevant to uh, Furbies or KB Toys. Um, <laughs> so, so don't say bye, bye, bye just yet because it's hammer time oh, next month. Oh, oh, when we explore a new theme, you'll never guess what it is. Guys, you have to pick a new theme. <laughs> <laughs> But um, but thanks uh, as always for listening. Does anybody else have uh, something that they'd like to uh, to plug or say anything about before we depart? Tid, <laughs> I know I was. <laughs> <laughs> this movie should have won. Um, I got nothing. <laughs> um, I have my uh, horror movie nights that I do, which I think will there be another one before another? Will this release before my next one? Yes. Yes. Mm. Okay. Great. So yeah. Um, this will release, I guess, on the 1st, so it, my horror night will be on the 3rd of March, and it'll be The Guest with Dan Stevens, um, because my partner loves that movie, and that's the one he chose. Um, and April is up in the air, because uh, I have to go to a wedding the first uh, Sunday of April, so we're gonna see if Horror Night's a different night. So, um, I also have no idea what I want to do for an April theme, so mm. if people have ideas... April Something showers. showers. Psycho, yeah. Oh, whoa. Ooh. Damn. You guys Obviously. did that so fast. <laughs> you did say up in the air, and, and I'm everyone just knows. like, oh, you big idiot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. Chill and kill horror. <laughs> Check it out. 
cool. Uh-huh. Um, follow Butter with that on all of our social medias yeah. on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, nobody got Christine's sneak peek, so <laughs> no shout outs to anybody. Did anyone guess? No. <laughs> shout out to the original Meek, whoever that guy was. I really you wish there were some like, weird ass guesses, but apparently not. <laughs> no. Yeah. People were like, meh. Also, there was a whole conversation between my dad and my sister who got so the shout outs that were like, oh, we're going to get all of them or something. And I was like, can you guys relax? <laughs> we're trying to grow a fan base. This can't be just a family thing. Please, please go away. But keep it competitive. Nice. But spirit. yeah, but I do like the competition. So uh, guess um, because you really want to get a shout out here, right? Sure mm-hmm. do. It's a big Important. deal. I really want a shout out. <laughs> Connor, I wonder if you can guess what next week's episode <laughs> is. Shout out to Connor. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh. Well, thank you so much to everybody for listening. Uh, have a good one, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>